we were averaging about 50, 55 people. And now we're in the 80s, about just a couple of weeks later, with over 100 people and membership now. And uh, I want to just hopefully give it to you guys and hopefully it'll help you. We've been there eight months and God's really uh, exploded the church. So hopefully it'll help somebody. And if it doesn't, you know, hey, uh, just just throw it out. But um, I do want to read a couple of texts, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 16. And you can stay seated. And then uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 31 through 35. Thanks, Dad, for letting me speak. I love you. And I love all everybody there. And hopefully, uh, hopefully this helps somebody tonight. But Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 16 said, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. And then Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 31 through verse 35 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. It came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, kept his bed eight years, was sick of the palsy. Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, maketh thee whole, arise, make thy bed. And he rose immediately, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Sarone saw him and turned to the Lord. So what I want to talk to you tonight is from the subject, the steps of a multiplying church, the steps of a multiplying church, and it's going to hit everybody, but uh, hopefully something will, will catch on and maybe you can take it personally and, and work on some things. And, and if you don't need any of this, like I said, just throw it out and, and forgive me and I'll do better next time. So, but um, from very, from the very beginning, God has always been a God that had multiplication on his mind. Um, and in the Genesis one verse twenty two, when he made the birds and the fish, he he told them to fill the waters in the sea and to multiply. And so he he expected animals to do that. And the very first words that God ever said to man when Genesis one twenty eight was be fruitful and multiply. That was the very first statement God made to human beings. Was he expected them to grow, expected them to multiply. Now, the same God that spoke that to humanity uh, in the book of Acts shows us that he's a God of multiplication. We tend to, in America, uh, be, a, be a, of the mindset of, a, of addition. When God's going to grow the church, it's going to be one by one, here a little, there a little. But uh, in the book of Acts, they multiplied quickly. Uh, 3,000 in one day, 5,000. And then, of course, you have multiple things. And in Acts 9.31, we find how the church multiplied. So I want to give you some stuff tonight, and hopefully it'll help. Hopefully it'll uh, connect with some things. But uh, basically, um, too many churches, I believe, have just a vision to stand and never learn to walk. And in, in, in the Bible here, the churches were walking before they started multiplying. And so for a church to walk, there has to obviously be movement. So walking is simply shifting the weight from one part of the body 
to the other part of the body while stepping forward. That is what walking is. It's shifting the weight from one side of the body to the other side of the body while progressing forward. That is what you get when you physically walk somewhere. Same thing in a church. If the church is going to walk and not just stand, there has to be, because if you have four or five people doing everything, you will not multiply. And the reason is, is it's too heavy for four or five people to carry everything. Now, I, I evangelized 20 years and I can tell you everywhere I went, there was a desire for great revival, desire for great growth. And But these were the statements I heard from a lot of churches that never seemed to have it. And these are statements like this, where we're waiting on God to send us revival. We're believing God to have a big, huge harvest one day. We're believing God is going to pour out his spirit. And it was great that they had those statements, but they weren't preparing for what they were expecting. And too many times we are expecting God to do things that we're not actually preparing for him to do. And we're 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 hoping that some big thing happens and he drops it all in our lap and we're not ready to handle what he's going to drop in our lap. And so one of the secrets is, can you prepare for it before you see it? Can you start to prepare for what God is telling you is going to happen before you have the evidence of it happening? And that's that's where you learn to walk. And that's where you learn to say, we're not just here. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this statement from pastors when talking about the church and the city. Well, the city knows where we are. The people know if they really want it. They'll, they'll, they know where we are. Well, that's a church that's established that is standing, but it's not going to grow because they may not know where you are, but they don't see you moving forward. And I don't think God gave you this new building to stay at the same level of attendance that you already had. I think that God gave you the building because he expects you to fill it and to multiply and to grow with that. So this is just some basic concepts, but stuff the Lord told me at the beginning of the year. And this is what he spoke to me. He said, you must shift. That, in fact, that's the theme for our uh, for our church this year is to shift. You must. Uh, we had too many people doing multiple things, and other people not growing, content, and happy to come to church. And then you have ten or twelve leaders that are carrying everything. Well, that 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 minimizes your uh, ceiling. And so the Lord said, if you really want to grow, you have to expand your capacity for growth. You have to enlarge your tents. You have to you have to stretch things out. You can't have one person doing four things. You need to find the other three people and train them to do the other three things and develop leaders and then impart to them and trust them. Now I'll say this and I'm just a rookie, but it's hard to trust when when uh when you tell them to do it and they don't do it, they don't do what you say to do. That's very difficult. It's hard to just say, hey here are the keys to the car, and then they crash it into the ditch before they leave the driveway. You know, it's 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 difficult. So, but the Lord showed me that, and He said, Josh, if you're if it's going to grow, you're going to have to step back a little bit, and you're going to have to empower people and trust people, and 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 so in Acts chapter, the shifting in leadership, and there was a, there was a man by the name of Saul who had to learn how to become a Paul before the church learns to walk. So the first step to massive growth is the leaders have to learn to shift and the leaders have to learn to change and leadership has to learn to develop. Uh, multiple times in your Bible, you'll find the word chasten, C-H-A-S-T-E-N, where God tells people to chasten themselves with fasting, etc. But it basically means to to work on yourself, to occupy yourself, to, to humble yourself, to change yourself. And the problem is 
We have a lot of desires for God to do things, but we're not working on ourselves and, and changing things inside of us. The word Christian means to deny yourself. And so if you can never tell yourself no to anything in this life, but, but then expect God to give you everything you're praying for, it's not going to happen. Chastening is the beginning of the breakthrough in your life. It's the beginning of the prayer being answered. Working on me is the greatest thing I can do. I know my attention wants to be on others and fixing everything they're doing wrong, but if I work on myself and chasten myself, God will entrust me with more things. If you want to be a leader, if you want to be a leader, stop waiting on a position and start chastening yourself. Start disciplining yourself. Start working on yourself. If you, you're waiting on the position, the position's never going to find you because you're not ready for it. The position finds the person who's prepared and disciplined and pursuing God and changing things about them. So Saul has to shift before the church ever does. So if there's going to be great growth, I tell my leaders, if there's going to be great growth, it's going to be, we're going to have to grow first. We're going to have to. And so these, these, these guys in my team that were that were had, you know, for instance, we had a youth pastor and he's great and his wife. And and I said, if you want, you know, we've got a certain amount of kids, but that's because that's all God trusts us that God can give us more kids. And, and same thing with Sunday school. We had six kids in Sunday school. And and uh, I said, no, we're going to we're going to go with a team concept. We're going to have a lady over this and we're going to build a team. And in one month, we went from six to 18 kids in just one month. That's because God entrusts us more because we're preparing for more. We're not just saying, God, send it. Well, God, send it. Because after a while, you're going to get frustrating, frustrated with why God hasn't sent it because you're not doing what you have to do to receive it. But if you'll say, no, I, I want you to send it. I believe you're going to send it. I believe it so much that I'm going to start acting like you're sending it. I'm going to prepare my life like it's already happening. You see, if if, if it's only pastor saying, okay, it's, we're going to have this many people, we're going to have this many people, that's vision, vision, vision. And without a vision, the people perish. And I'm and I'm all with vision. But there's one thing that trumps vision, and that's strategy. And strategy, vision without strategy is just a, it's, it's believing God to do something big. But if you add strategy to vision, you actually see what you saw coming to pass. So strategy has got to be... Uh, a big deal. So our department heads now before it was just, hey, you know, show up once a week, listen to pastor release vision. Now I don't, they don't get to talk to me once a week. I meet them once a month. They're reporting, but they report once a week with all of their uh, what who was attended, what they were planning, what their plan is for next week, next month. They've got a schedule for everything they're doing the next three months. And shocker, we're exploding in growth. Why? Because strategy demands growth. It demands increase. There was, you know, Joseph's name means increase. And it's not coincidence that the one that God chose to do all the stuff, we, we always see him as this dream interpreter, but he didn't just interpret the dream. He busted out strategy for the dream. And that's what got him connected to the palace. It wasn't his interpretation. It was his strategy. Interpreting the dream is just giving Pharaoh a direction of what's supposed to happen in the future. But when you say, I've got strategy for what I just spoke, now Pharaoh needs you. So Pharaoh doesn't send you back to the prison. He now employs you and trusts you because you can see his vision. Can I just tell you, everybody in leadership, you need to see your pastor's vision and work on strategy with the vision. Okay. 
Well, God's going to send us 500 people. He's not if you're just going to sit there. He's not going to send you 500 people. He's going to send you 500 people when you start working on how can I be a part of that 500. Who are, which, which Bible study are you teaching? Which new convert are you taking out to lunch after church? Who, who are you texting during the week, checking on them after they came Sunday? Or do you even know their name at all? Let me let me even go further. This is a big problem I'm seeing in our church and everywhere. Leaders tend to flock to church people after church and not flock to the guest. We need to if you want the growth, go to the guest after church and find them instead of trapping each other, talking about your week every. You can call each other on the phone Sunday afternoon, but that guest may never come back to the house of God. That guest needs a divine connection with somebody in the room besides what they just heard. They need to feel the love of the body. And so the body is going to have it if they learn to work with strategy. And can I just say this? If it's up to Pastor and Brother Stacy and Brother Playl and whoever to do everything, you're going to have a ceiling that's going to be about 200 people. But if you can get some other people, I feel the Holy Ghost now. If you can get some other people saying, let me help with the vision. What can I do an outreach and follow up and connection? You're going to see people coming. We have had three families this month come that I have I have talked to one time, and yet the church has engulfed them. And we have a prayer every morning from 6 a.m. to 7 on the phone, and these three families are praying every morning at 6 o'clock. They've been in church four weeks, and they are engulfed in our church, and I don't even really— in fact, this Sunday I'm having what we call lunch with pastor and family, and I only invited the new families from this last month, and we're going to hang out afterwards, and they're going to get to know me, and I'm going to get to know them. And the reason I'm doing this is because they keep coming back because our people are catching the strategy of the vision. It does no good for pastor to go all out and say it's going to happen if I don't walk with him and pick up this guest and reach that guest and talk to them and talk to them. If you want to see growth explode, it's got to be all the people behind the front row that I don't know your names, but you're in that room and you have got to do more than then play your instrument or teach your class or show up to prayer meeting. These are things we're supposed to do. You've got to engage in the harvest and in the vision of saving the city. And here's what most church people do. They get the vision. They hear it from pastor. Yes, we believe. We're with you, pastor. We're with you. And then they, that's all they do. It's just, we're with you. We're waiting on God. We're waiting on God to do it, pastor. I love your preaching. But that's not going to make it happen. What's going to make it happen is getting out of your comfort zone and getting out of the boat and learning how to walk with God and multiply. Now, Noah walked with God in Genesis 6, verse 9, before the flood. But when the flood ended in Genesis 9, verse 1, God said, go multiply. In other words, you should be sick of church inside the ark with us eight. Let's lock the gate. No one else can get in. And so you've already walked with God. You've got teaching. You're grounded. Some of you, you're so grounded, you're you're under you're under the ground. You know the doctrine, you know you know the name, you know the you know all that stuff. But you you don't know the first thing about teaching a Bible study. You know the first thing about engaging some. Well, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert. You are a part of the kingdom to reach somebody. So if you don't want to call them, text them. But engage in the strategy so the vision can come to pass. Okay. So here's some signs that you're walking. In Acts 9, verse 31, it says they, they were walking in the fear of the Lord 
And in the this is the church now. So the leadership shifted, and now the church starts walking. And, and when the church is walking, they're walking in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. This is awesome. It's, it's fear, comfort, fear, comfort, fear, comfort. It's one message is straight and challenges you and makes you uncomfortable and convicts you and scares you. And then you will strengthens me. That's called walking with God. You get one message, you work on it. You get the next message, it edifies you. That's how a church begins to walk in the spirit. Micah said, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. It's it's required. He didn't say stand with God. He said walk with God. So church is learning to walk here and they're shifting. Fearing God, comforted. You, you fear the word, you're comforted by the people. You're going back and forth. And soon as the leadership shifts and as soon as the church shifts, ready? Then the lame start walking. Leadership learns to walk. The church learns to walk. Now the lame man gets up and walks. Paralyzed, praise, Aeneas' name means praise, and he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's almost like it's, a, it's an after effect of what's happening. The church is walking, and because the church is walking, God is entrusting them to find the people that are not walking and get them up. And so Peter goes, finds the lame man, and he gets up and he walks. Go back to Acts 3, when there was an all lame walking and praising God. And they all were in amazement. They were all marveled. They all were in awe. Why? Because they saw him walking. Ready? The city is attracted to the church where the lame walk. The lame only walk in the churches that are learning to walk. The churches only walk where the leadership is walking. When you get this connected, then you find a city revival. The Bible said when the lame man got up, that all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. I've told you before, only place in the Bible where two entire cities turned to God was when the church started walking and the lame was walking and the leadership was walking. And you get all three of that connected and you got a revival that will break out in your city that will not be able to be stopped. Okay, here we go. The first place that 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 turned to the Lord was a place called Lydda. Lydda means the place of strife. So the first place that God aimed at was the place of arguing and contention and strife. That's the first that's the first atmosphere that recognized something's going on in that church. People that are fighting are going to recognize, wow, something's going on. But the next city is the one I really think is so awesome. Saron means the plateau, the plain, or the level place. In other words, the place that's never going to get beyond where it is. Recognize the revival that was in the atmosphere from a lame man who was walking. And the lame man only walked because the church was walking. The church only walked because the leadership was walking. So. The plan must be you have to increase your capacity for growth. You have to increase it. You have to trust people you don't want to trust sometimes, and they're not going to do everything right. But you have to train them to know what to do. But we'll do anything and we'll go, go all out with a spirit of excellence than to have the most gifted person in the world that thinks I know better than everybody else. And I'm going to show you how it's done because they never increase the vision. They don't. You know, can I just ask you, whenever you get asked to do something, 
can you try to do it with a spirit of excellence? When, when Daniel, Daniel was known for a spirit of excellence, multiple times in Daniel, he's referred to as having either spirit of excellence or being excellent in wisdom. We have a guy in our church. We have this guy showed up, rough, tough dude with his family. They drive an hour and a half, started coming months ago, truck driver, real quiet, wife's real quiet, real quiet kids. And just sat in, but super kind, super respectful. I noticed that when I met him, just a super quiet, but very respectful. Uh, he's my age, he's a year older than me. And and so we had a we had a spot in our church that I noticed we were we were missing, and that was in the back of the church. We had no um we had no presence back there. People were just coming in and out, no protection, no security. We had some different people that were supposed to be doing stuff and they weren't doing it. And so I asked him one day, I said, would you mind? Is that where you need me? That's where I'll be. And, and, and so he, he's been doing that every, well, then I, I, he's been doing with such a spirit of excellence that I increased his, his labor. I said, Hey, now I want you to start counting the money and the offering with the, with the other ushers. And I want you to count that money and give it to our assistant pastor and the offering. He not, this is what he did on his own. He, he counts the offering. He takes a picture of it, sends it to our assistant pastor, signs his name on the envelope, and whoever else was counting the money with him takes it to the assistant pastor and says, is this everything you need? All I said was just count the money. But he has a spirit of excellence. He has a spirit of how can I make it so easy, pastor, for you? If someone comes up to trouble me, he walks up and stands in between me and them and says, you're done talking to him. You leave my pastor alone. You don't talk to him like that. You don't yell at my pastor like that. Pastor, let's go this way. I, I didn't ask the guy to do anything. He's all of a sudden like this superhero bodyguard, That's but, he, but he's not running anybody off. He's just watching everything. Someone someone came in to threaten the church. He had them removed without me even knowing about it. He he. he this is some guy that no one knows. You know what I did? You know what I did yesterday on the phone with him? No, I'm sorry. Today, today on the phone, I said, Brother Ryan. I said, Brother Ryan, would you? How do you feel about preaching on a Wednesday night? And he got real quiet and he said, Pastor, you know I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I'm very happy back here in the back, just taking care of. Whatever, but I had I prayed told my whole life I was called, but no one ever actually poured in what you poured into me in six weeks. I can't. Whatever you want me to do, if you ever have me preach again or not, you can count on me. I'm right back here. I've guarded my post. That's what you need, guys. You need. I know you got that. I'm not going to say I know you got that. I know brother brother Trace is one of the most incredible guys, and brother Lance. And I see you back there. I, I you got some incredible people. And I just say, I wish that their spirit would get contagious on some other people. It's the truth. You can tell there's there's loyalty. And when you have guys and ladies that are loyal, but they're not just loyal. They think, what? how can I make this better? They don't, they don't step beyond their bounds. They don't do what, what they're not asked to do. But what they get asked to do, they go above and beyond making it easy. And I'm telling you, that's why God entrusts churches with growth. And that's why people are blessed. The most blessed people in our church financially are the most submitted, loyal people that are servants. The most cursed people in our church are the ones that are not submitted, don't care about the vision. Why can't I sing? Why can't I be on the platform? Why can't I this? Why can't? And then they can't find a job. They can't get connected. They're frustrated. They're fighting all the time. And that's because they don't have the vision. But if you get the vision, you can't die. Because without help, you can't take me out. 
But there needs to be proof that you've got his vision. Your life needs to reflect. I've got the vision of my pastor. I've got the vision of this church. I've got the vision of this city. I've got the vision of what's going to take place in this town. And, and it should be on your lips everywhere you go. Our church is going to have 500 people. Our church is going to have 500 people. You want to come to our church. We're on our way to having 500 people. And guess what? Start thinking like a church of 500 people. Start. What does a church of 500 people do? I've, I've preached at hundreds of churches that said they were going to have that, but they had no plan in place. Just God's going to send us. God's not going to send you anything you're not prepared to manage. Why would God send you 300 people if there's four Bible study teachers? They're just going to leave in one week. They won't be back. They're only going to stay if they get engulfed. They're only going to get engulfed if the people have the vision and the strategy and the people zone in. So I, I'm telling our leaders, man, I, I took a, I took this last week and I said, you see those three families? Boom, boom, boom. I said, here's their, here's their, we have, we've had a system where, you know, if you come to our church, you get a text and email and uh, whatever, a phone call. And I said, you know what? Some of these people, they've come multiple times and I'm just, I want to engulf them and I want, and they're going through all kinds of stuff. And now they're getting 15 texts from our from our leaders and 15 different calls and and worse and they're and now now they they feel loved and they feel surrounded because it's not two or three people reaching out saying we really do love you here it's the whole church saying we're proving we love you here watch this come on and they and they and you you insert and I'm telling you our district super in any church that's being started anywhere in America. He said, there is something about the love in this church and the and the way it's growing. And I know it's all God and, and it's it's what God's doing, but the people catch the vision and they run with it and they walk with it. Don't just stand in your position and be thankful. I'm I'm this is what I do here at the church. No. Get out and engage the new people that God because God's testing you with them. He's sending them, and we oh, God's sending it. But the whole time he's sending, he's going, now, what, what, what are you doing? Who's going to who's gonna reach out? Hmm. Oh, you're going to talk to the same lady again that you've talked to the last six services. Or are you actually going to get up and go over there and talk to this family that's sitting on the back row, not engaged in the service? We had, two, we had a couple show up four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, Giovanni and Paola. And they sat in the very back row. They came in late. Someone invited them to our church, and then the, the person didn't even come. And they sat in the back row, and they sat there, and they were uncomfortable. And I could tell first time Pentecostal church, and they didn't know what to think. And at the end of that service, I saw and pray with this couple right now. And when they went back and prayed, they were they started breaking. I saw both their hands go in the air. God filled them both with the Holy Ghost at the same time, and. And then our people swarmed them. And and then our people been reaching out. To, now, six o'clock in the morning, Giovanni's one of the first people on the prayer call. He's been in church three weeks and he gets on that prayer call. Hey, pastor, can't wait to. And, and, and I'm going, this guy doesn't even know me. And yet he but yet that he felt the the people reach out. Now, he could have come, felt the Lord. On the back row, while we were all in the front praying and getting our breakthrough, oh, I was. Uh, oh, we're all up there, totally blind to what's going on behind us, and all the guests that aren't moving while we go to the front and they're not moving. Take the altar call back to the pew. Take the altar call back. Take your breakthrough back to the 
12th row where that person's back there uncomfortable. They may not pray with you, but man, love on them. I know I'm telling you what you're already doing, I'm sure. But I really think it's going to go to another level of growth because God will give you more people. The reason God does not do this is because he doesn't trust his church to take care of them. That we just, it's just going to, you know, we, they have to come here and be a part of who we are and learn who we are. And that's, yes, that's right. And we're having discipleship on Sunday night. We teach them who we are. We teach them about the culture. We, all that stuff's going on. And it's just another channel to find a way to get to them. But ultimately, I'm telling you, there's something about good old fashioned love from the church where everybody, I, everybody just feels it. I had this other family show up uh, from Washington and they they've been in the wife has the Holy Ghost. The husband has been baptized. Husband does not have the Holy Ghost and she's not been baptized. And they got three kids and they and they live somewhere about an hour away. And they came to our church and they said, someone told us to come here. We don't know the first thing about Pentecost. We've been in church a couple of weeks. We got I got baptized in Jesus name. And we we loved on them and we prayed with them and stuff and and they came back and they kept and so finally it's been about three or four weeks and I I called him and I said hey Troy you just you know this is this is pastor just want to check on you he said you know why we come to your church and I said no he said we went to all kind of churches I said okay he said when we left that church our kids said they love us here we want to go back to this church he said and that's because our kids said that. We knew it was over and we're coming and we're apart. And now they sit on the second row and they are the whole family. And it's like, I don't even know who these people are. I, I, but yet they are so happy and they're driving an hour, hour. Into, I'm telling you right now, you're about to have a harvest that's going to hit Anchorage. And several people are going to be driving from Anchorage to your church. You're, you're staring at the streets nearby the church, but God's going to reach all kinds of places far away. And people are going to drive great distances to be a part of what's about to explode in Palmer. I, I think you've got the mind of God with the why not stuff. I think you've got the, the faith. I think you got the vision on their shoulders and say, let's roll with this thing. It's not good. It's not. It's coming one day. It's happening. Who can I engage this week? Who can I? Pastor, is there someone I can call? Is there someone I can reach out? Is there someone I can pick up? Brother Plale, is there someone I can help? If you guys get people doing that, it's going to be ridiculous. God's going to send guest after guest. We've had 26 guests in the last three services. I don't, I'm not, people, I don't even know who they are, not church people, brand new people. And all I know is one thing, we shifted and are learning to walk. And if, if, if you have all this stuff, you got better music than we have. You got a better, we don't even have a building. We were renting a bill. We don't get to come and have prayer meeting on Tuesday night. You have the building, you have the chairs, you have the room, you've got classrooms. I don't, we don't have classrooms. We don't even have a lobby. We don't have an office. I don't get to go to the church and go to, I don't have, we don't have anything. But we have we have something going on, and that is a strategy that's working. And you've got everything that the guest is going to want when it comes to the building. You've got the beautiful place. And all you need now is to engage this vision a little stronger. Don't just receive it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's coming, it's coming. That's what that's what typical people do. Go beyond and tap into that spirit of excellence. I'm I'm not just hyped up. I'm going to find out what I can do to make it happen in my family. Who can I take out to lunch today? 
Who can I help? Who can I strengthen? Who can I pray with? What can I do? And boy, if that ever, let that get contagious right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it get contagious in that church and you will see the growth that's been prophesied and preached about and promised. I mean, it's not going to shock me at all if you're at 300 in, in less than a year. It's not going to shock me one bit at a bit. It's not going to shock me because I really think God, not well, we, we've, no, no, God, and whatever you're at, wherever number, I don't even know what number you're at, but whatever, wherever number you're at, don't, don't, this is the mistake that I heard too many churches, too many pastors saying, well, we're at 150 or we're at 200 and, you know, we just want to get to, what's your plan to get to 300? And, and I, I read books and books and listened, I listened to the guys that were, that broke those barriers. And they said, we broke the barriers when we started thinking like a church of 500 and not dreaming about being a church of 500. We got there by thinking like them. What would they do? What kind of things would they implement right here? How would they reach this family? What kind of programs did they have? What kind of ministries did they set up? What kind of teams did they build? Because two people can only candle so many people. But what 15 people can do is far greater than what two people can do if they're all submitted, if they're all loyal, and if they're but but if they don't, God removes them. But it's amazing to see the growth in such a short time that I know is from God. And so if you want to, I just feel like, you know, I mean, this is just some boring stuff here, but a church can multiply if they learn to walk. And leadership walk will never do anything for God. The ones that come and sit there and never move, never get involved, and they, you know, they, they're not faithful. They're just, they're on the edge. Those are the ones that are going to get up next. You watch. And when they get up, those other family members that never have come, they're they're going to see that dude get up. Like, no, I'm going to try your church because you you're, you changed lately. Something about you is different. I'm I'm going to I'm going to give your church a try. That is why, because the lame getting up is what causes the city to get up. They know your church is there. They know it's on the top of Bailey Hill. They know that. They know that church is there. It's standing. It's strong. But the church is about to walk, and the church is about to move, and and the lame are what. I think you're about to see some serious revival in some people that never, you're going to have some people run the aisles this year that have near you. They don't even go to the altar right now. They don't even come to the front. Before this year's over, they'll be running the aisles and it's going to stir up something in the church. They didn't say, oh, look at Peter and John. They healed that lame man. They said, oh, the lame guy's up. They didn't even notice the leadership. If you have to have credit for it, God can't trust you with it. You have to get the glory. You're still not ready for it. It has to be. I don't care who does it. I don't care who gets the connection. I don't. We had a girl get out of a wheelchair just a month ago. It doesn't matter who gets her out of the wheelchair. They weren't talking about well, this person prayed her up and she got out. Everyone was saying she got out of the wheelchair. She got, we saw her walk. They weren't talking about the preacher pulled her out. The pastor pulled her out. It was, she got up and walked. No one cared that I prayed with her. It wasn't about the pastor. It's about the miracle. The people get excited. Well, I feel a release of miracles. They're going to come to your church in the name of the Lord. Let there be a release of physical healings in Jesus name. Things that are going to get people's attention. That's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm just going to be really honest. It's, it's a lot of, People carrying it so pastor doesn't. It's pastor releasing the vision and then stepping back and a lot of uh, team members taking it and carrying it and fulfilling it and then releasing the vision further and, and developing teams beneath them. 
Uh, it's just, it's almost like it just, God entrusts them and it grows and grows and grows. Uh, from being at churches that uh, just have seated thousands of people, I can just tell you that it's, it's, if, if it's the churches that always stay small, it's always one guy, big vision, three or four people, let's do it. And they never get beyond it. It's got to get to that. We're all, we're all doing it. But people that move to our church from small churches are very uncomfortable right now because because if they don't get to sing every week and if they don't get to talk to me after church, uh, they get upset and they're not lasting. The people that came from larger churches, it's just like we got we got let's go. Let's go. We have a couple in our church that came from a church of over a thousand people. And he came to he hasn't said a word to me. This um, this. This great couple, real quiet, and he's been there for six or seven months. And he said to me, when you made that shift, that's it reminded me of our church of a thousand people. He's, that's, he's an incredible man, and this man has no bitterness, and it was just a geographical thing. He said he developed all these pastors and, and released them and, and put, built this team. And they said, you've never reminded me more of him than when you did that. He said, that is the key for, for a big church like you're, like you're feeling. But the people that come from the, I'm just being honest, the 40-member church, the 30-member church, you know, 70-member church, they have 15 questions for everything you're doing. They they want to know why, you know, what's the, why can't I? And then it's just so, it's small, so small-minded, the thinking that it's like, you have to be on that. And they're very uncomfortable. In fact, few of them. I think they had our, their last service here in the last couple of weeks and they're not coming back. And it's not because I'm trying to run them off. They just don't get big vision. They get, I have to be the center of attention and I don't care what guest is here. Pastor better talk to me and better listen to all my questions. That kind of person hinders. And I've told our leadership, I'm not doing that. If they, I'm just not going to do that. We're going to grow at the expense. I hate to say this, but vision trumps personality. And if your personality is so strong that you need to be coddled every five minutes, I'm not going to be able to do that to grow this church. I'm going to I got to choose you or, or all the other people. So get up and learn to walk or walk out the door because there's people that are that are genuinely thankful. You know, and there's some people that I I have never eaten dinner with still and that have been coming for six months to our church. I haven't. I haven't taken them out to eat. I haven't talked to them. And they're so faithful and so loyal. And so they die for me already. And I'm like, who are these? These are people, but they're just spiritually mature. They have a walk with God. They pray every day. They read their Bible every day. And they actually are thinking big things. And it's so awesome when you get around people that, that, that know this does work and they affirm it to you. This, this is, this is big vision, big vision, big vision, and big strategy. And you have to have 10 times the, details for strategy that you do for vision is going to well i don't know god's going to do it well maybe is god going to do it or is god going to do it when he sees us building the ark? the floods not come until the ark is built so build the ark and do what you can do so i can do what i want to do it's just it's just so basic and so simple but it does work so you have to break that out of your that culture out of you that that that's that culture of just we just show up to the same church year after year, week after week. This is my pew. Those people usually get offended if someone's in their seat because it's, they have a certain seat they sit in. It's the this is my seat. I arrive at this time. I shake these hands. You know, it's 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 very 
It's it's why you're stuck. And to to get unstuck, you know, Sunday I was preaching about um, hell knows heaven is coming, about Paul and Silas in the prison. And I saw something, Dad, that was just like, I'm sure everyone else has seen it. But uh, when they put Paul and Silas in the inner prison, which is under the ground, it said that they put their feet fast in the stocks. Now, I thought to myself, why would they put their feet? They're already under their feet up if if they know. There's no point of locking their feet up. And it hit me. Just a couple chapters earlier, they had someone else in prison, and the angel came and opened the door, and that dude's feet weren't bound, just his hands. And it it hit me that hell knows heaven's going to open the door for you. So their whole mission is, can I get you stuck in a mentality that when the door opens, you don't get out? I know God's coming. The demons know the revival's coming. They know the door's going to open. But can I get you distracted with your small mentality and get you stuck in something? And I can't get over this unforgiveness. I can't get over this bitterness. I can't get over why she said that. And your whole door is open, but you can't step out of it because you're stuck in the stocks. So in other words, hell had more faith for Paul and Silas's breakthrough than the church did. Hell knew it was coming. The enemy knew. They said, you better lock their feet up. We already know what happens. These angels show up and these doors open. You better lock their, if you get them stuck, they won't be able to walk out of an open door. They've got the vision. They've got the prophecy, but they're stuck in this little mentality over here. So if they're stuck, they can't do anything with it anyway. But you do, but first of all, that's incredible. The size of the town, Palmer, is to have 180 people. That's very, very amazing. But I, but the enemy of great is good, and and it's good. But but you know, whatever it takes, it starts with us. We have to we have to learn to shift. Have to learn to trust in areas that are uncomfortable. Learn to walk on water we're not comfortable in, and let people fail, and then teach them. But ultimately, uh, you know, like we have a guy here now that, that I'm telling you, this this really happened. Everyone was we were meeting. Our staff was meeting at our house every Monday night. They were coming in. I was just pushing vision, vision, vision down their throat. Just vision, 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 vision. And I was like, man, we're just hitting this wall. We're not going anywhere. And so I'm, then I'm working on the details of the vision. I'm, I'm, I'm working on all these different little things we got to do as a church. And they'd come and I'd give them all this. And I got this assistant pastor here who is completely, uh, he's a, you know, he's a money guy. He's a tech, he's a, works for Dell. He's kind of a nerdy dude. And I'm, and I'm doing all this stuff. And then it hit me. I was like, you know what? We're not growing because I'm in the way. If I will let him do all the stuff he's supposed to do, and I just put vision, and then I can get these people to do really surviving. Who has a burden for this to make this grow? Who, if I put if I poured into them personally, would make this ministry explode? And you know what? I remove that person, put these people, bam, it explodes. Why? Because they have a burden for it. And so it took me stepping back, and I told them at our leadership, I said, you're not going to get me like you get me. We're not having these weekly meetings at our house anymore. I'll meet you once a month, and I want a report from every single service of your, from your group, what, what your youth group did, what events you went to, how many people came, and I want your plan for the next month. What are you doing on the 14th? What are you doing on the 21st? What are you doing on the 28th? What are you doing? And I want to know every department. And then so what they do is every Monday, each department, you got our church, you got Spanish, youth. Sunday school, the greeting department, uh, I'm forgetting the outreach department. They send a report to our assistant pastor. They they check in with him. They don't check in with me, which is really nice. 
They check in with him with all their stuff. Now, all the people that need all the counseling, they sure check in with me. But uh, they, 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 they release all this stuff to him. He gets the report. He comes over to the house. He gives me the report. Here's here's what we had in greeting. Here's what we had in guessing. We had a vision move. And now all these people. Feel, so when I had our first monthly meeting, which was this last week, I gave them all two minutes in the Zoom. We did it by Zoom. said, OK, you have two minutes. Tell us your report from January and your plan for February. And you would have you would have thought these same people, Dad, who had come over to the house week after week and just sat there and stared and ate food and listened and did nothing, all of a sudden took their job seriously. By the way, nothing will make you take your job seriously as someone that can replace you that's in the atmosphere. But it's not growing, and this person can make it grow. And, and they didn't like that, but but they submitted to it, and now it's it's worked. So, But now, all of a sudden, they showed up to the Zoom meeting. They're sharing their computer screen with all these graphics, and we had this, and they're showing you the graph of how what they did. And I'm going, where were you all these six months just sitting there? That's because we were thinking like a church of 50. Pastor does everything. We get our orders. We just hang out, and then we have fun. And then, yeah, we know we, we get a guest here. No, so now it's like I have a department. This department counts on me. This is a this is a, it's like you it's like I'm a pastor over the greeters. I'm a pastor over the Sunday school. This is a big deal, and I have to report now and check in and take it. And all of a sudden, boom! It exploded. And you know what though? Even the Lord told me that that's like church of three or four hundred, Josh. When you get closer to two hundred, you're gonna have to go beyond that. You're gonna have to think beyond that, expand beyond that. You build. So I'm trying to build the biggest teams we can because I already know. You can. You can. You can have. You have a youth. Yeah, a youth pastor. But you need a, a team behind that pastor that can make it go to fifty. It, two people can't have a Sunday school of a hundred kids. It's impossible. And we had a. We had a. We had a family that the lady loved to sing, and she had a child in Sunday school, and we were we were developing a Sunday school team. We had all these moms that had a burden for Sunday school. It was it was excited. But we we called her also to join the team, and she ignored us. And she said she didn't have a burden to teach Sunday school, just to sing on the platform. Well, she no longer sings on the platform. Because that's, that's she told me, I can't catch your vision when she said that. I, I don't have your vision. And, and, that's, and that's so I'm not going to pour into that. But you know what? There are people that are showing up. And now we got this big Sunday school team. And it's exploding. And people are hearing about what? Why? I don't know. They caught the vision. They're thinking bigger. Think beyond. Stop. Don't just, well, okay, I got to ask to do, I got to ask to greet today. How can you do that with excellence? Think, you've got all week to think about it. Think, what can you do? What can you, we hold signs? We, we, we got all kind of stuff. What departments are they having? Look at their websites. Look at what they're, they're doing. We're, we're, we're we have our website right now. I just made a decision three hours ago, uh, a $4,000 decision that, um, that website we have, it's like the website of a church of 50 people. It's 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 cute, but it's not getting anybody's attention. So guess what? It's being exploded this month. And we went to the we went and found a church of 600 people. We called them. He said, who built your website? They told us an apostolic church. Uh, Brother Nathan Scoggins, where Brother Bear's at there in uh, San Antonio. We called them and said, what do you? And they said, boom, here's what we, here's our guy's number. And he said, here, I'm doing it for you. And now we've got this massive website under construction. They're going to build an app for our Sure. I'm just trying to think beyond where we are constantly. 
trying to think out there, how can we, if God ever sent us this, what would we do? How could we handle it? Let's prepare. We had a building fund service. It's $4 million. Just the building that we're renting is they're trying to sell it for $4 million. It only seats 150 people. We already filled the parking lot. We, there's no lobby. There's no classrooms. We can't stay there. We're trying to start a building fund. It looks so stupid. You know, this little tiny little cash offering compared to what we need. I know we need millions. Do we have millions? No, but we're going to start stepping toward it. And we know God's going to do what only God can do. God's going to give them the stuff only God can give. But God's not going to give the, the building if we're just praying for it all the time. we got to start trying to save the money to get. We, we have to take steps toward it, what we see.